0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, we do say thank you for grace and peace, and it is amazing that those words would be in our vocabulary and that they would be true and true of us, there is much to be astonished at there. And Lord, even as I say that, as I pray that as we sing that, we have to also admit that we don't really even know what we're talking about because we don't have an accurate picture of just how amazing, just how astonishing it is because we don't have an accurate picture of just how deep our sin is. We are... A people who, who were against you, and now we belong to you as heirs of a vast, glorious, eternal kingdom. That is amazing. That grace and peace would save people like us. We sang it all this morning already. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We don't understand that word, but you've saved us and made us yours. Thank you. And what is coming to us, your people, is astonishing. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness alone dwells. That you have given to us by grace. Thank you. So now help us, Lord, in light of all that, to hear the word this morning and to be changed by it, to wait well because of what you tell us this morning and how it shapes us. Lord, please do that work this morning in us. I'm asking you then for something impossible, that you would take English words, read and spoken, and you would make eternal difference from them. Spirit, you can do that, though. The work is yours. Carry it out. Make us new to our great good, for our joy, and for your honor. Do that please this morning. Thank you. Amen. Imagine a man and a woman, they meet, get to know each other, start to date, and eventually decide they'd like to stay together for the rest of their lives, so they get engaged. They circle a date on the calendar, you know, nine months from now. It seems like an eternity way off there, but there's a bunch to be done. Many details, so there's there's stuff to fill the time with. And, they get about it. They, they buy one of those wedding planning books and they start to knock out all the stuff in it eagerly. Eagerly. From excitement. They're looking forward to that day. They can't wait for it to come. We've, we've all seen this in some capacity. Maybe you've been a part of it. But have you ever seen a couple that doesn't get right on it? Nine months is an eternity. There is plenty of time to sort out where we're going to have this thing. And besides, the stores are just full of dresses. Come on, there's, there's no rush here. <laughs> Ever seen that? that? That lack of interest is a little bit odd. It just strikes you as kind of strange and at least makes you wonder how much they want this. Or worse, what about a guy who gets engaged and then immediately starts going out with all his old flames? and going on lavish trips and buying a bunch of big ticket items because hey there is no way she's gonna let me do this once we get married I better knock all this out while I'm still single it's now or never you see that and you kinda wonder exactly what he thinks about this two becoming one deal shouldn't There'd be something that he's looking forward to that's, that's shaping the, the day that's coming, that's shaping how he's spending the days right now, waiting for that day in a positive way, in a way that prepares for and respects what's coming, he's driven by it, in fact, by, the, by this longing for this future day such that when it comes, we'll, we'll all get there and we'll say, like, we made it. Well done, we're ready. That's how you wait well. And that's what connects us to our passage today near the end of 2 Peter 3. Over the last two weeks, we've seen Peter addressing this specific claim that some of the false teachers in the church there were making that Jesus, in fact, is not going to return to judge. There isn't an end. I mean, it it all might come to an end, but there isn't an end so no worries. And Peter has rebutted that by pointing out the flood, an overlooked fact, the proof of God's determination to have a pure and righteous world. And Peter has also, this was last week, pointed out something for us that we tend to forget sometimes, that God's time frame is not ours. He is not working with time the same way we are. He is not in a hurry, but is very, very comfortable taking a lot of time to carry out his plans. Patiently waiting to finish his work, gathering in all of his people, drawing us to repentance, to salvation. So it's not only a rebuke that Peter delivers to to the opponents, but it's also something there for us about how we are to live, how we are to think. That's the theme then that he picks up today in in what is a summary section here, verses 14 to 16. How then should we live as we wait for the day of his coming? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm going to draw out three observations from the verses once I read them. This is verses 14, 15, and 16. So, follow along with me as I read. Peter writes... which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Pause there. So that's our passage. Three observations from it this morning. Here's the first. Wait as God's holy living sacrifices. Wait as God's holy living sacrifices. Verse 14 begins with a therefore beloved. So we're we're getting a summary section here and in a bunch of ways this resembles some things we've already seen, but it's put in slightly different ways. We're waiting for these things, since you're waiting for these things and most directly he means the previous verse where he said we are waiting for the new heaven and the new earth, those things. But of course, the verse right before that, he also said that we are waiting for the day of God. So what he really means here is we're just waiting for all of the things that are going to happen at the end. Christ's return, and when Christ comes back, the judgment, which he depicted in verse 10 as the coming of a great fire. Burn up the heavens and the heavenly bodies. You recall when we talked about that, Peter tells this in a certain way as we wait for the day of the Lord. He tells it in a way that It kind of has God up here, the earth and the things going on in here, and in the middle there's this, the heavens and the heavenly bodies, the sky and the stuff in it. And the fire on that day comes and burns that up to remove it, like stripping the, the covers off the bed or turning over a rotting log so that God can see everything going on on the earth. It stands exposed, it says. Exposed to the eyes of God as he comes to judge all the things done on the earth, including the things done by us. Our works too. So, since we are waiting for all of these things to happen, here then is the command to us, and it is a command. Peter says, be diligent. There's something here that we must make effort at. Try hard at, consistently. Be diligent diligent to be found by him with the following three characteristics true of us. Two of them that are very personal and one that is more interpersonal, one that more me with others. So when God pulls back the sheet to look at everybody and everything, let him find us to be people without spot and without blemish and with us all, at peace. Those are the three things there. Ourselves, personally, we each must make every effort consistently to be pure in his sight. Untainted. Unmarred. Right. Righteous. This is very much like what we saw last week with the words holy and godly. And it's it's not hard to get the point. We can kind of understand that whole family of words there. It's, it's rather clear. We are not to live like the world, freely and comfortably walking according to our own desires and feelings and impulses. And surely in the context of, of this book, where repeatedly, again and again, Peter is pointing out that where the people that are around us and tempting us are going is into the feeling, into the impulse, into the, the sensuality of the flesh, Clearly he has that on mind. So we are not to walk in sin in any way, especially that. So he wants us to be a pure people, a a holy and godly people. And whether we read the Ten Commandments and see them listed out or we read the fruit of the Spirit or any one of the the lists of the virtues in the New Testament, like the one in chapter 1, talked about that last week, Wherever it is that we, that we read, we see that God has repeatedly told us what righteousness and godliness and purity and spotless holiness, what, what it means. Those words mean the Ten Commandments, the fruit of the Spirit, the lists of virtues. We can read them and understand them, or we can look and see what they mean. We can look at the life of Jesus, lived we out. Can, we can follow him through the Gospels, A couple weeks back, there was a visitor here from the group that was here from Texas, and I had a conversation with one of those guys, and he said, I read the Gospels every two weeks. He was talking about interacting with, with an LDS woman here and knowing Jesus, and he said, I read the Gospels every two weeks. So if you think about that, how many times a year do I read them? Do the math, that's many. I get to know Jesus like you know the characters in a movie that you've watched 25 times. You know the facial expressions. You know the statements that they make. I know him because I read the Gospels. We can look at Jesus and we can watch him act. We can see what holiness and godliness and spotlessness and blamelessness looks like. And he's also then given us other models. Peter and Paul both said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he's given us other models beneath them, leaders in the church. One of the main roles of leaders in the church is to walk out this Christian life in front of the rest of the congregation. Now only Jesus does that perfectly because the rest of us are people. But ideally, people that you can say, that guy is following the Lord. I'm gonna get behind him. That's why you picked him, to put him in the leadership position. So, whether we read the lists, the Ten Commandments, the, the fruit of the Spirit, or we watch Jesus, or watch Peter and Paul, watch our local leaders in a church, through reading or through watching, one way or the other, to some degree or another, we understand, we take in, we see that's what those words mean. That's his calling on me. We are to wait with holy lives, we are his kingdom of priests. His holy nation a living statement to the world about what God is like and what God does with someone when he saves them and makes them again in his image what he drives out of us and builds into us What we individually and what we his new community are to be like as we avoid and strive to rid ourselves of all that is displeasing to him in our personal lives and yes For sure, there is a work of God by grace that that changes us. But I'm, I'm emphasizing, I'm leaning into be diligent, strive, make every effort. Those are the words of this book because we have some choices to make. We have choices to make. Your personal holiness matters as an honor to God and as a testimony to the world. And so too does the atmosphere of our collective body, the church. So, let him find us without spot or blemish and us together at peace. This is a major mark of God's people. Concord, unity, oneness among us. which does not mean that there are no differences of opinions, that there are no disagreements, that there is never any falling out. It just means that when there is a falling out, that we work it out and we we come back together. And that doesn't mean that all the disagreements go away, that we now completely think all the very same things. We may may have abiding political differences, fine. We may have abiding differences in taste of this or understandings of these disputable matters or preferences in these ways, that's fine. We may disagree as long as we are not disagreeable. There may be difference of opinion as long as there is not conflict. There should be concord within the body of Christ. That's what the gospel does in a people. And that is so remarkably different. You know how the world deals with conflict? Distance or weapons. But how it deals with it in a good way is distance. Let's just separate. I have no conflict with you because I have no contact with you. Which is better than this, but we can do them one better. We can say, let us show you what God does in a person and in a people. It makes us not only individually spotless and blameless and holy, but what that means is that when we are together as a people, we are one even when we disagree about some things. That is remarkably different. A people that works at peace, let him find us that way. Obviously, this shouldn't need to be said but maybe it does need to be said. Obviously, the whole context of this letter is about false teachers that must not be embraced, that must be rejected. He is not talking about a peace that sets aside truth. But there's a difference, as we've said, between false teaching and difference of opinion about disputable matters. A difference between false teaching and mistake, or opinion or taste, or something said that offends me, that we need to like work out. There's a difference there. Peter is not calling for a peace that sets aside truth, but he is calling for peace in the truth. That's his command to us that we should strive for. And it's easy when you read that. It's, it's easy to get the point. Christ-like living is what we are called to as a testimony to the world and as an honor to God. It's repeated, in fact, and it's very similar from last week. But, that all being said and that all being true, but there is something just a little bit more here this week. Like I said, he says the same thing slightly differently, The slightly different brings in just a little bit more this week. The language of without spot and blemish, that's language very often used to describe a sacrificial offering. The animals whose lives were laid on the altar before God and consumed in worship of him. So in saying this, holy and godly, without spot, without blemish, is not a direct repeat. It takes it one click further. We're to wait for his coming as holy, living sacrifices, without spot or blemish. So morally righteous and obedient to all his commands and, and, with all of ourselves offered up to him for him for his honor and glory and praise in the midst of all of his purposes dying to ourselves that's, that's, that's the animal on the altar dies to itself in honor to God as God has declared in God's ways and God's purposes an offering in whatever way and whatever time he would choose so we could drop in right here Maybe it's a better known command of Paul's in Romans 12, present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to him. Paul, Peter here is saying essentially the same thing with different words. So this is not in the end a passive waiting. So Kind of take your mind here and kind of process this. We are not just here killing time, trying to be good while we do. We are not just waiting, working on our own characters, working on our own moral conformity to God's law. We are not just waiting, trying to get along with each other. We are waiting here as God honoring sacrificial servants lives lived, laid down to be a part of his plans and his purposes so that when the day comes we can say we made it, well done we're ready to enter into the righteous reward so check yourself on this How many of us do indeed reckon with his coming and his judgment, and do indeed make every effort to avoid sin and live holy lives? But you do that while fundamentally going about your own business. See what I'm saying there? Of fundamentally going about your own business. And if, if I'm, you know, this is why I'm pointing one finger at you. There's three pointing back at me. I, I am a mind your own business sort of guy. And that means I, I love going about my own business. Minding my own business. Keeping to myself. If it was probably up to me, I'm not sure I'd leave home. I am extremely introverted, and extremely comfortable being by myself. So, three beg at me. However, there is one at you. Do you hear everything that I've said so far, or, or at least the first five or ten minutes of that? And you say, "Like, I hear that. I get that. I, striving to say noticing, striving to not walk in indulgence, striving to be at peace with my brothers and sisters." Good. Okay but you're doing that on your own schedule, about your own agenda, with all the things that are comfortable and convenient and and nice and normal for you. Without any thought of, I wonder if there's somebody else who would prefer to write my schedule in a slightly different way and commit me to other activities, ones that I might not choose myself. I wonder if I should ask. Is that you? I've made much effort to scan the internet news and the sports and check in on all of my various hobby websites in ways that keep me from indulging in sin and clicking on that thing. And I fight that battle all the time so that I can surf the internet in a holy way. I wonder if someone would have me do something other than waste my time scanning the internet. But I'm doing it in a holy way. I wonder, what are you doing in a holy and godly and good and clean and pure way that perhaps God wouldn't want you to be doing at all anyway? Because there's no need for it. If your life was on the altar as a living sacrifice, he'd say, what I really want to use you for, what I really want to spend your life for has nothing to do with ESPN.net or org, or whatever it is. Because who cares? Just ask yourself, are you about the king's business while you wait for the kingdom to come? Now, I think the next point, this is the longest of three points, by the way, so if I'm belaboring this, don't worry. But the next point, I think, gives us a clue as to something about the king's business. Count the patients as salvation. Why is he waiting? It has to do with salvation, so that gives us some clues about the king's business, so you can kind of think where i 'm thinking, where I 'm going here. But let me say, if you are like me, and there are a number of you in the church who are like me who are really comfortable being by yourself, who might not leave home if you weren't compelled to, for whom you know all the COVID isolation was heaven. You know, That's me. What this is not saying, what I'm not saying is that, okay, introvert, check to see if God actually wants you to behave like an extrovert. I'm not saying that. I'm saying check to see if God would actually have you live in some way on mission in a different way than you are right now. And there are many, many introverted ways to do that. Many. You don't have to become something that you're not, but there are ways that you are and that you could be, given who you are, you could be deployed or employed in God's work more than you are right now, probably. This just occurred to me this morning, almost embarrassed to say this, but it just occurred to me this morning that I was thinking about this very issue right here. There's something I have in my bulletin board written by 150 years ago by a missionary to China who said, he's a missionary to China, and he said, I am increasingly convinced that the work done in the foreign mission field is actually done back in England by people on their knees. You can do that as an introvert. I thought, duh, this morning. And then I'm convicted by how little my prayer life is actually committed to praying for the people on the mission field in China for example. But you see what he's saying? To live on mission, to live as a a living sacrifice. Here's my life, Lord, lay down and worship to you. What do you want from my time? Maybe I need to spend less time surfing the internet in a holy manner. That's not the battle. The battle is to get rid of the internet and pray for my brothers and sisters who are maybe sending forth the gospel in China. And this guy who was a missionary in China said, actually, that's where the real work is done. I just opened my mouth. What happens is determined by the people who are praying. So examine yourself. Are you waiting, not just as a holy person who's at peace with others, but as a holy, living sacrifice? Without spot, without blemish, laid on the altar in a way that is completely pleasing to Him. That's the command to us be diligent. Driven by the hope of what we are waiting for, a new heaven and a new earth, since you're waiting for those things where righteousness dwells, where your reward is, the promise that is coming, walk towards it in faith, being diligent. Second point then, why are we waiting? Here's the second observation, wait as thankful participants in God's salvation plan. Wait as thankful participants in God's salvation plan. Verse 15 contains a second command, which is more about mindset than activity. Up in verse nine again, this is again similar to last week, Peter told us that the fact of this long time, between when God made the promise to send Christ judge and redeem everything the fact that there's been time between when he made that promise and when he hasn't yet kept it that's been a long and still is a long time that is not because he is slow certainly not because he's going back in his promise but what he said is it's because of his patience talked about that all last week his patience towards his people not wanting any of us to perish but all of us to reach repentance Well, today in verse 15, he says the same thing in slightly different words. Consider, or count, the patience as salvation. This time of waiting, it's actually a good and merciful thing. It's delay that you and I and others would be saved. We tend not to look at it like that. If we think about the delay at all, We tend to be discouraged that he has not come. Maybe listening to doubting questions of others who let this delay kind of like call into question God's faithfulness. Maybe we go there, especially if at the moment we're looking at pain suffered or are suffering at ourselves. Maybe in the words of Martha as she wept over Lazarus, we might say through our own tears or through our own anger, maybe, Lord, if you had come, my brother would not have died. My loved one would not have died, would not have faced this, suffered under this attack or this disease, or this, this war with all these atrocities wouldn't have happened. Why did you not come? Why'd you wait? Now, as I say that, if we're honest, a lot of our current lives are pretty comfortable. And so we don't really, this is kind of one of those things where the preacher's talking about something and you kind of say like, okay, but I really kind of don't really want that to happen. I'm pretty sure that a good number of us are often not concerned about the delay because we don't really want him to hurry on and finish up everything. We're kind of enjoying what's going on right now. Okay. That's gonna end, you know. All of the shiny wears off. The chrome somehow rusts. The strength and the vigor weakens and decays and the money runs out and so does the health. Do you know that? Maybe at times we can see through all of this and you can maybe at times come to feel some more of the The subdued sense of sigh, (sighs) disappointment, maybe despair. Because the world is broken and it has fallen in sin, and frankly, it is hard to live as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. And the more seriously you take that command, the harder things get. You always feel the power of a river's current more acutely when you stop floating with it. But you cut across it, let alone try to go up it. The more seriously you take the command a living sacrifice. You're going to feel the world broken and dark and fallen and full of sin and what Moses said in Psalm 90 is going to say, yup 70 maybe 80 years and it is full of toil and trouble and then we die. We've got a bizarre really unique twisted American experience where it's 70, 80, 90, 100 years of delight then we die. Nope. That's not normal, and it actually isn't real for us even. Especially if you actually embrace the command to live as a living sacrifice and stop floating with the current down the, down the river called American Dream and say, I'm in pursuit of Christ's will for my life. My goodness, this place is messed up. And if and as you actually walk into that and try to cut across the stream, the current's going to push you and you're going to feel in all this delay disheartenment, disappointment, maybe despair. And you're going to maybe be tempted to say, Lord, why? And he says in that context, Peter's talking to people who lived in the time of the Roman Empire, who lived in the midst of false teaching, who lived short lives and died hard. And he says... Don't count the delay as despair and disappointment, and don't question God's faithfulness. Instead, say, oh, thank you. Thank you for waiting. Because the waiting is about patience, and the patience is about salvation. On God's timetable, not ours. In his ways, not ours. But he's told us what he's doing He's working to save a people. To take wretches like us, in fact, literally even us, if he hadn't waited, we wouldn't be here talking about this. To save not just wretches like me, to save me, a wretch, to save people like us who who have nothing whatsoever to to deserve him and to make us heirs. He's done that for you and for me and still for others. That must be the case because he's not here yet. Clearing away from us sin and sorrow that that we would have lives that are different now and are astonishingly, amazingly different. Grace and peace, how can that be true of us? But it is. Lazarus was left to die. Christ didn't come, but the end result of it was the glory of God, the good of Lazarus, and the good of Mary and Martha, who saw it all and saw in Jesus the glory of God differently. Salvation is why he waits. That's what the delay is all about. Know that and be fueled by it. And let that be kind of a clue to what it would mean to be a sacrifice offered up to him. It might be to be about this mission. So, in short, if I'm going to put together these first two points here, Peter is now finally giving us positive marching orders. A whole bunch of this letter to this point has been, not that, don't do this, resist these people. Now here he's kind of finally saying, like, here's what you should do. Others are going to mock and doubt. They're going to be around and saying all kinds of, okay, sure. We are to wait for the day that is surely coming. And we are to wait for it, holy living sacrifices, attending to sin in ourselves, being at peace with others, engaged with God in his purposes as a, as a living offering to him. Engaged with his work, understanding that his work is that of salvation. He's gathering in his people, sanctifying them, growing them up. That's what he's doing. That's what we should be about. Amidst the constant storm, which takes us to the third point. Lastly, wait, reminded of his coming and prepared for the world's denial and destruction long, I'll say that twice, wait reminded of his coming and prepared for the world's denial and destruction. So, he's talking about what God is doing and working out his salvation plan and then he says, which is the same thing our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Verse 16, in fact, That's what he does in all his letters when he speaks about these matters. Middle of verse 16, there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand which people twist, end of the verse, as they do the other scriptures. So, kind of as a brief aside here, this is a really interesting point here because it's not the point. So there's a little aside here that's worth noting the New Testament as we have it didn't exist obviously when Peter is writing this but they had scripture think of the Old Testament scriptures they had writings that they called scripture and Peter here in just an offhanded remark lumps in Paul's letters with the other scripture which tells us he's not even teaching us that Paul's letters are scripture he assumes it and knows they do too which tells us something about what we should assume. The apostle and the church assume that Paul's letters are like the scriptures, the other scriptures, the other scriptures. We should be thinking of Paul's letters as scripture also. That's a really important point, especially important because it's not the point. He's not actually teaching that, he assumes it. He's got another point to make. The point that Peter's actually making is that Peter isn't writing them or us anything new. Paul wrote them the same thing, and in fact, Paul always writes about this stuff in all the other letters that he writes. This is God's truth. Come to us from God's given wisdom through his apostles. This is the faith over and over and over again in all of Paul's letters to other people and Paul's letters to them and Peter's letter to them. This is the ministry of reminder. Had a couple of opportunities to talk about throughout this book. The ministry of reminder. Let me tell you the same things, the same things, the same things. Because you need to hear the same things, hear them, hear them. Because we leak. God's ministry of reminder. Reminding us that He's coming, reminding us of how it is that we are to live waiting for Him. All while well prepared for what's going to be coming at us. All the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures are all given by God, and Peter alerts us, in fact, ignorant people, which he does, of course, not mean kindly, but doesn't mean as like some simple dig. He means unlearned, ignorant, people who don't know the truth, or at least aren't living according to the truth they've been taught Ignorant people are going to twist and therefore are ignorantly unstable. They are ignorantly in that two words together. Remember we talked about that earlier in the book. They have no grounding. They have no understanding and therefore they're just making it up as they go along. And so they take the scriptures, Old Testament and the writings of Paul and the writings of Peter and they just say, I would prefer it like that. That suits me. They do that to all of the Bible, all the scriptures. And twist is an active word. It is not just misunderstood, it's pervert, distort, change, make it say something it doesn't on purpose. They twist the word of God. That's what the world does like the father of the world, the father of lies, did from the very beginning. It's the, first, the first time we meet him, he says, did God really say? Of course, knowing that God did really say. And then the second twist is, well, let me tell you why he said that then. Because he's trying to hold you down. He's trying to rob you of joy. You should go with what feels best to you, not with what God says. It's the lie from the very beginning. If he can't twist to distort what was actually said, he can twist why it was said. Because really the fundamental goal all along is to get rid of God, God's word, God's authority, so that we can live as gods and do ourselves. Doing what's right in our own eyes. The world around us always always rejects, twists, turns it to wriggle to get out from underneath of God's authority in any way possible, to their own destruction, it says. The day is coming, Christ is coming, And he already sits enthroned in heaven and no amount of twisting or denying can alter any of that. But in ignorance and in folly, the world out there and even people who sit in churches even right now, um, this morning, say otherwise. He is not coming. He does not sit enthroned in heaven. We should do as we please. And we follow our own teachings according to what feels right to us. And tragically, I mean that word, tragically, they are headed to destruction. Now, in this life, in a, in a way, because that is not the good life, to turn away from the Lord and walk according to one's own feelings is not the good life. To cut across the grain of wood is hard going. But mostly, Peter is thinking of the end. Eternal perishing is real. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many, most in fact, walk it. That is not theology to know, that is reality to mourn. And that's our context. We live in the middle of that. And, and Peter here, at this point in this letter, he tells us that certainly there is a last warning in there, so don't follow them. Don't follow them. Most people are going that way. Don't follow them. There certainly is a little bit of a warning in there. But at this point, he just wants to make us aware that that's the context in which you're waiting. I've told you how to wait. I've told you what's going on, this, this work of salvation. That that's what's going on, but it's going on amidst a storm. It is pouring, and it is always going to rain. The sun does not shine until the sun comes. It is pouring rain, sleet, cold, pelting you. Or maybe at other times there's no rain whatsoever at all. It's beating sun and no shade. It's a desert. Either way, sure, par for the course. That's what's here. That's the context. And so don't, church, for a minute think that, am I on the right path Because frankly, there's nobody else on this path. Am I on the right path? Absolutely. As he just told us, in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing. If there are scoffers scoffing, that's a good sign. Ironically. If there are ignorant and unstable people twisting, that's a good sign, ironically. Of course it's not. because it's tragedy. But the wind is going to howl and the rain will fall. It will pelt you with the sleet, freezing cold. That's where we live. Wait anyway. And probably the more you get in the middle of that and get affected by that and get touched by that then that's what drives in us a how long oh Lord come Lord Jesus wait anyway as pure spotless living sacrifices beholding the glory of the Lord as he carries out his salvation plan and brings the final judgment on the world that resists him Wait for it Well, that day is coming. Let me pray.
0: Father, help. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801 943 0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah. 84121